Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Some of you may have recognized that song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, was offered as an instrumental by our group and Les Paul on the guitar back there. <laughs> Great job, guys. Thank you. Um, I wanted to share just in the time that we have together today um, a thought with you, uh, something that Jesus shared with his closest followers in a very significant spiritual moment that I believe has application uh, for us today as well. It's a moment where he was sitting with them right shortly before he went to the cross uh, to pay for the sins of the world, and he caught their attention on something. And, you know, do you remember that statement? Uh, um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Some of you might remember the commercial. See if you can finish the statement. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. It's good to know there's still some of you that remember that. That makes me feel a little better. People listen. Well, that was a commercial to sell the idea of a stockbroker, you know, and, uh, and what they share and whether or not you should. I don't know if you like what your stockbroker tells you or your banker. I don't know if you don't like what they've shared with you based on how things have gone. But one thing I can tell you is when, when Jesus talks, we should listen. And when Jesus repeats something, we really should pay attention. Um, Jesus did this often. Truly, truly, I say to you. And when he did that, you needed to, your ears needed to perk up. Or Martha, Martha, you know, you're very busy right now, but you're missing one thing, and that's to sit with me and hear my words. So moments like this, when he's repeating, we need to hear that. There was a moment like that. As they sat at this Last Supper before he went to the cross, they were quibbling about various little things and maybe missing a bit of the big picture. And Jesus interrupts this moment we see in the Gospel of Luke. And he says something to one who he had named Peter, which meant a rock or a stone, um, and gave him that name because he wanted to build certain things on on Peter. Um, But that wasn't Peter's given name. His given name was Simon. And Jesus interrupts this moment and he says this, Simon... Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, this statement obviously had specific meaning to Simon or to Peter, but I also believe in Scripture that many times Scripture is written to others like Simon or to the churches of the time but it's written for us at the same time. And so there's general application here that I want us to see as we go through this because I believe it has particularly important in a moment like this. Um, when, you, when you take a look at what was happening, remember, they were at a key spiritual moment. Something was going to begin to unfold. We've been talking recently. We just did this at our waypoint here the other night about how we, we increasingly feel the, the burden, the desire, the honor to bring the message of hope of Jesus, not just to our own selves, but to the world around us. We want to commit ourselves faithfully to that. 
And when you do that, the devil's going to show up. I don't know how else I can put it, but do we honestly think we're going to be able to do that without him interrupting things? This is where Jesus started with them. If you notice, he started that by saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has, uh, has asked to sift each of you, not just Simon, each of you like wheat. Now, what does that mean, to sift? He was saying that the, the enemy, the devil, was going to come in and begin to sift them. In those days, uh, they would sift wheat in a couple of different ways. The goal was to loosen the unedible part from the edible part of the wheat, and they would thresh it. Many times this would be done on a threshing floor. One way they did that was to put the wheat on, spread it out on the floor, and they would stomp on it and beat it, as it were, with a flail and, in order to knock those pieces apart and separate the edible grain from the rest. Another way they would do it is they would put it in a large strainer-type uh, device, and they would shake that violently. And as they shook it, all the dirt and all the chaff and other things would fall out, and, and it would leave the, the grain in the, uh, the sieve or the large strainer. But it was a violent process. And, and what Jesus was trying to tell Simon and the rest of them here is Satan has a goal, and that goal is to stomp on you and to flail you and to sift you and shake you violently until you're crushed until your, your faith is wrecked, as it were. There's a reason why he's known as the deceiver and the liar and the accuser and the enemy of our souls. And there's a very real spiritual challenge, especially in key moments when we want to step out with God. And so that is what he was, uh, as it were, warning Simon and the rest of them about, that this is no mere um, kitten to deal with. It's something much more. First Peter chapter 5 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So this was a serious issue that they were facing, and he wanted them to be aware of that. You know, I can tell you just in the past several weeks, I've been in a number of conversations, and you see, I've seen this personally, I've seen it with them. You, you see the amount of sifting that can happen sometimes. Because remember, we have really three issues we're dealing with here. You've got Satan, the, the enemy and the, and the deceiver, and the one who wants to sift us this way, but you also have the world that oftentimes is at enemy with, enmity with God. The world often opposes God in its ways and its systems. If you don't believe that, just, just watch the evening news. You're going to see just how just sometimes and systems are, and, 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 and you don't really see the values of love and mercy and, and, and things like this guiding these systems. And we also have the flesh or our sinful nature. We have a bent in our nature that oftentimes opposes God. And if you want to see any evidence of that, you look at any two-year-old and what is the first word they learn to say to their parents that love them and want to protect them? No, right? We all learned that. See, we all know it because we learned it too. We were there too. And it's a bent against an, an authority that trusts and loves that's just kind of wired in there. It's a part of a fallen world. And so he knew they were going to deal with all this, and it was going to create a, a, an intense amount of sifting. We see that today. I was talking to people who they put a, together a whole vacation with their family, and several things just knocked it all apart. Um, I talked to somebody who had gallbladder surgery, and right in the midst of it, they sprained their ankle. You know, the world just sifts. It, it, it stirs you up. Somebody who was walking through difficulty with uh, the loss of somebody, and then they fell and hurt themselves in the middle of it, and their father ended up in the hospital. I, I, I've talked to several people who are struggling even personally with their own challenges of, of anger and frustration. I've shared a lot of conversations even personally with them on the struggles there. 
Um, we struggle with the world and with our fallen nature and with the enemy who will use all this and sift us, sometimes violently. And Jesus has an answer for that, thankfully, because if it ended there, this would be one bummer of a Sunday. But Jesus went on. He said, but I have pleaded for you in prayer, Simon. Not I've prayed for you. I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Jesus turned to prayer. And before we turn back to Jesus on that issue, let's talk about prayer for a moment. What is prayer? John Wesley was a famous evangelist. He was often known to spend two hours a day in prayer. And he said this. He said, prayer is where the action is. Prayer is where God is on the move. Prayer is where things get done. Prayer is where the action is. But I think if we're honest, I don't know to what degree we prioritize prayer. I, I struggle with that too. And I, I, I've often thought about why that is. And I think there's several reasons. We may have some of our own, but at least two I can think of is one sometimes I, I think we struggle with the fact that we may not see results. We're very results-oriented, aren't we, as people? And we want to see physical, tangible results you can see with your eyes. And sometimes we see that with prayer, but oftentimes we don't. And so we wonder, what's really being done here? But I think that can be a mistake. C.S. Lewis talked about this one time, and he said, if you're the type that, that can, thinks prayer is only communication with God, but it doesn't actually affect things in the world, he says, well, then you've got a problem. Because you have to say that the whole tradition of Christian prayer, including the Lord's Prayer itself, the prayer he gave us, has been wrong. For these prayers have always said to pray for our daily bread, for provision of that, or for protection from enemies, or conversion of the outside world, that they might come to know Jesus and all this. He says that there's, there's no point if, if it doesn't actually affect things. And then he goes on to make an analogy. He says, you know, take a harvest. He said, you can't be sure if there's going to be a good harvest in a field. You know, it's, it's, it's big picture. You're not always sure how it's going to result, you know, what's going to come out of it in the future. He said, but one thing you can be sure of, that if you pull up one weed, then that one weed will no longer be there. So there is a way in which you affect things, he's saying. And then he goes on to say, now that kind of cause and effect that we exercise in the world is kind of divinely guaranteed. You know, you pull up a weed, it's going to disappear. He says, but the kind that we do with prayer is not exactly like that. You see, God's left himself some discretionary power. So it will affect things, but there may be times in which God says no, or when God says not time yet, or maybe but later, or I need you to wait, or other things. And this is why he said if God had not done so, prayer would be an activity far too powerful and too dangerous for men and women. So we need to think about that. Prayer is not something that God just whimsically grants our every request. We're already off base if we think of prayer that way. But at the same time, we should never think of it as not affecting something in the spiritual that translates to the world that we live in. And so sometimes I think we, we, get, we struggle with that. Sometimes we struggle of what the real purpose is of prayer, kind of what we just nodded to, this idea of just requesting what we want um, and just being off based in our hearts on this, there was a story of a, of a mother who made pancakes for two boys, Bobby and Timmy. And Bobby took all six pancakes, put them on his plate. It's supposed to be three and three, but all six end up on Bobby's plate. And so the mom decides she'd teach him a little bit of a lesson through this. She says, Bobby, why don't you pray for the, the meal? 
And I think maybe you could consider praying about things like generosity or maybe giving rather than receiving. So Bobby, of course, he puts his head down as this is sinking in, and he folds his hands and he begins his prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for Timmy's generosity to give me all the pancakes. <laughs> Can we not identify with that on some level? Do we not at times run into God's presence? We rush in and say, God, this is what I need and nothing less, and then we run out. Or God, why did this happen? I just don't understand why you let this happen to me. What did I do so bad to you? And we run out. And sure, this is not to say that bad things don't happen and difficult things. And Of course they do. It's part of the sifting. But it's that focus in that prayer that's just, it's just not going to get us there in terms of what God wants us to experience walking in a relationship of trust with him. And so we need to be careful of our heart on that issue. We also need to be careful sometimes that we're, we're doing these things as, as a form. Sometimes we can, we can think of, of prayer in its form. And think about a culture that's kind of, even a church culture, that's just caught up with form. And by the way, this has happened and can happen. And as a church, I think we always need to be conscious of this. Are we, are we being careful to not become the church of the proper form? Because if that's what guides things, think of what it looks like. I think what it tends to look like is you get a glass ceiling culture. You get it where certain people feel that they can't hang with other people or even reach other people because those people seem so much more spiritual than them. I mean, John Wesley prays two hours a day. I don't get anywhere near that. How, could I, how can John Wesley even condescend to talk to me? You see, we can run into things like that. We can have an in-crowd and an out-crowd kind of culture. We can have an exhaustion culture. How much can I prove? How much can I do? Everything is the next event, I'm the next campaign, how much I've, I've, I've given or how much I've, I've, I've you know, performed here or prayed even. Am I praying more than John Wesley? This is what matters. But that's not what matters. That's never enough, by the way. I want to talk about an exhaustion culture. That's, that's what it will be. We forget what God wants. We forget even what kind of culture he wants when he talks about his church. There's one writing that put it this way. Cross adorned, steeple high, pews and doors and pulpit shine. People come, fill the chairs, service time, God's not there. Walls and floors, ties and shirts, songs and sermons aren't the church. Form and functions empty noise without him to fill the void. Christ alone in humble hearts is the church that God imparts. God wants a different kind of culture in his church, in his people. And I believe that's true of prayer as well. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. So that's worthless. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. There's another problem with form. Can I say the right words? Do I say enough? Am I saying as much as the next person, right? We can get caught up with this stuff. You see, God wants a church that is known as what the prophet Isaiah said, that Jesus quoted many years after that. Isaiah said, my house, the Lord says, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house will be called a house of what? Prayer. Prayer. That is God's view of his church. But what does that look like? What's the form? 
Is it long periods of time? Is it the right words? The right posture? Do my hands go like this? Or like this? Do I get on one knee or two knees? How long do I stay on those knees? It's getting a little, a little tough to be on my knees <laughs> at times, no? So I hope I don't have to be there for two hours. Maybe it's not about that. Henry Blackaby once wrote this. He said, The Pharisees had their prayers down cold, but many of them were absolutely useless to God. What God is looking for is a heart that's increasingly responsive to his touch. So maybe prayer is more priority over posture, prioritizing God and his touch and seeking that. Maybe it's more depth of connection with him over duration. Maybe it's more subtlety, seeking him out in the prayer closet, like Jesus said, where no one's around, rather than being seen on street corners. Maybe prayer is the quality of heart that we bring over the quantity of our words. God wants, as Blackaby said, regular times of prayer in intimacy and in solitude with our Father so that we can understand his direction for our lives and for the world. So what is prayer? I like to think of prayer many times more as talking with God. Because if we talk about prayer, our minds immediately go to form. And form's not bad. I'm not saying that, okay? We don't have to feel bad if we got on our knees the other day to pray to God. That's not the point. It's that we need to understand what it is we're doing. When I talk with my wife, I, I don't pray to my wife. I talk with my wife, Right? Because there's relationship there. Now, that's not to say, I, don't, I want to be clear on this, that doesn't mean that there isn't some type of recognition of the holiness of God or the awe of God. Okay, again, one, one writer said it this way, today so many have lost the awe of coming before God in prayer. We forget that he's not a common buddy, but a holy God. When was the last time you quietly entered the presence of God and there came over you such a sense of awe that you could hardly open your mouth? So we don't want to lose the sense of God being holy and, and, and the awe that's with that. But, but he also doesn't want us to lose the intimacy that he seeks with us in that moment. So we're talking with him, not talking at him and not assuming a posture. One way to think of prayer is this way, to, to talk to God and listen to, on bended knee or standing in a room. When waking and walking, seeing and talking, thinking and acting, speaking and asking, in your own voice, but led by his voice. Not about style, just spending a second, a minute, or a while. Your problems within are surrounded by him. His word is reborn in the heart where it's stored. To wait on him, as his humble son did. To breathe out his ways in every action, every day, to breathe in his air. This is prayer. Do we talk with God? Do we breathe him in and wait for that touch to guide our hearts on what we would say to him just in our own words? It's kind of an attitude. It's a shift of our heart attitude towards God. And and it, it can shift our agenda toward God. Blackaby again said it this way. He said, when you're praying either alone or with others and God is speaking to you, don't bring up your own agenda 
Instead, shift your heart to receive his agenda. What is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to understand about your situation, about the person that he's moving you to pray for, about the struggle you're going through, and, and what he wants to teach us more than the why are we going through it? These are the nuances that God works in our hearts as we're opening up our agenda to say, guide me, Father, in, in what you want me to see. This can give us perspective over sometimes even the darkest issues we struggle with. Remember what Jesus said in the very moment when he was going to go pray? to handle the darkness that would be placed on him, the sin of the world on the cross, what did he tell his followers? He told them, pray. Watch and pray that you will not give in to temptation. Watch and pray that you will not give in to temptation. Prayer is a way in which God shields us from these things. Prayer can prepare us for difficulties. Do you ever think about in Jesus' intimate prayer time, and he had much of it with the Father, he would go off many times alone and pray, he talked with God, his father. And I wonder, what did the father tell him about concerning Judas? He knew Judas would betray him. This didn't catch him by surprise. He even said at one point, you see this in the Gospel of John, he said, haven't I chosen the 12 of you? And one of you is a devil. One of you is going to betray me. He knew it. What was the conversation like between him and the father on him having to walk through that difficult betrayal? I can almost guarantee that they had conversation on that. And so should we on conversations with God and talking with God about the deepest pains that we've dealt with in life. See, Satan can sift abilities. He can sift confidence. He can sift hard work and effort. He can sift all of that. He can sift success. He can sift all of those things and shake us violently. And all of it won't matter in the end. But the one thing I believe he can't sift is when he encounters the one who's pleading for us in prayer and he finds that we're talking with him. That he can't sift. He has no authority in that moment. And that's the moment why we need to, to seek those moments. But we struggle because we get stuck on form. We say, you know, I'm just empty. I don't know what to pray I'm not really sure. I don't feel anything coming out. Well, I've got one practical suggestion for us all. Is his word in us? Because God will bring his word back out of the heart. My, thy word I've, I've hidden in my heart so that I won't sin against you is one verse. There's many others. It talks about the importance of God's word being stored in here so that there's something to come out in the times of testing, the times of... Is the word in us? Imagine somebody saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to drink here, but I'm still thirsty, you know, and you look down and they've got a water bottle or a cup and there's no water in it. You say, I think I know your problem. You need to get water in the cup first. We are washed by the water of the word, the scripture tells us. Are, is that, are we washing ourselves with that word so that it's filling up our cup and overflowing? This is the struggle. This is why we, we offer Bible studies and discussion groups and small group studies and People put time into these things for a reason. They want our church to have an opportunity to gather together and get the word into us. But, but if you can't make any of those, you can still spend time with God and his word. And when he reveals something that you understand, you can talk with him and thank him for that understanding. And when you read something you don't have a clue what it's talking about in the scripture, you can talk with him and say, I don't understand this. Father, can you help me understand it? You see? And none of this can be sifted. 
Sometimes we say, I just can't find the words. It's a moment of life. We're so overwhelmed. We can't even push the words out. We're so intimidated. We think all the words are going to be wrong. Well, guess what? You don't need them. Did you know that you don't need words to pray? Oh, yeah, we see prayers with words. Jesus, John 17, he told us about the Our Father and how it's a model of prayer for us. There's many examples in Scripture we could go to, but did you know Nehemiah was a man of faith? And Nehemiah was standing one day before a king. His whole homeland was destroyed. His heart was destitute. He was so downtrodden. But he served this king faithfully. And at one point, the, the king asked him. We see this in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. The king said, Nehemiah, look down. How can I help you? And then we see this. Nehemiah says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. And then he began to talk to the king. If it pleased the king, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, here's my question, though. Where was the prayer? It said he prayed to the God of heaven, but where, where were the words? He didn't need them. He connected with God in his heart in that moment. It came from the right place that prayer comes from, a broken heart with God. And he offered that in that moment and said, God, guide my word, whatever he said. But it guided that next moment. And the Lord heard his prayer. C.S. Lewis said in Letters to Malcolm, I still think the prayer without words is the best if one can achieve it. For me, words are in any case secondary. They're only an anchor. Or shall I say, they are the movements of a conductor's baton. They are not the music. The music of prayer is the broken heart with God. And when that's there, the words really don't matter. And if it's not there, the words really don't matter. God calls us all to be able to pray in this way. And if we don't do it, I'll tell you what, I don't think we ever get the Christian life right. We won't get church right. We won't be able to offer the hope of Christ to the world around us right if we don't get prayer right. Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And yet we still struggle with it, and we still struggle with life, and sometimes we just can't find ourselves to get to that place where we can pray the way we hoped we could. But you know what? Here's the beauty of what Jesus said. He didn't just say, Satan asked to sift you, so pray. No. He said, Satan asked to sift you, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Jesus pleads in prayer for you and for me. Did you know that in the difficult moments? And he's still doing that through his Holy Spirit. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Does that sound familiar? Weren't we just talking about that? Here's the writer telling us that. He went with, through it too. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying 
for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Does it comfort you to know that when you are so sifted, when you are so flailed and, and downtrodden and stomped on that you don't even know if you can open your mouth to pray that Jesus is praying for you? He's pleading for you at that very moment. And the Father who knows your heart is responding to him. And nothing can sift that. Nothing. You're in a moment and you say, God can't love me. There's no way. Nobody knows what I know. He can't love me. Jesus pleads in prayer for you. You're saying, I can't love myself. Jesus pleads in prayer for you. I'll never measure up. Jesus pleads in prayer for you. I don't know how to be free of this sin, this struggle, this deep pain of betrayal. I don't know how. Jesus pleads in prayer for you. Never forget this. Notice what Jesus said. He said, Simon, Simon, or Mickey, Mickey, or insert your name here twice. He said, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. And yes, sometimes that's allowed, but only because it's allowed. He asked. He has no right to it on his own. Don't forget this ever. God is sovereign. He allows the time of sifting, and he makes sure of the time of ending. But they are both in his power and control. You are never outside of his hands. And so Satan may be a lion that seeks to devour, and certainly if we don't press in to God that our faith may not fail, that's what he's earnestly praying for, certainly he can do a pretty good job chewing us up. But don't ever forget, he's a lion on a leash. And he's actually been defanged. And that can never be sifted. There was a story I heard of a, a, a couple of kids who would walk by a fenced-in yard and there was this uh, boxer there barking and, 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 and growling at them and, and they never got near that fence. They didn't want to get anywhere near it. They'd have to walk back and forth to school and they're running to the other side of the street. Well, one day they go by and they see the owner there and he's got the boxer on a leash, but the fence door is open and he's waving the kids over. Well, they don't want anything to do with this. They're staying away and, and, and when he notices they're not coming over to look at the boxer, he starts walking to them with the dog. Now, they're wondering whether or not they should run, and he stops them from me and says, wait, 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 I just want to show you something. He said, this dog can't hurt you. And he lifted up the gums of the dog, and the dog actually had no teeth. <laughs> this is a real story. I relayed this that he went through with his friend when he was younger. Had no teeth. And when they saw this, they just started laughing, and they realized that even though this dog was scary, he was not beyond the control of his master, and he could not really chew them up. Satan is a lion on a leash. And Jesus has pleaded in prayer. He has pleaded in prayer for us that our faith would not fail. Notice he didn't pray that we wouldn't be sifted. In this world you have trouble, he says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We will be sifted. You have been sifted. You may be sifted right now. But he prayed that our faith would not fail. Because with faith in Christ... You can actually be made stronger through the time of sifting. James chapter 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. 
Because when it's fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God is doing a work in us to make us increasingly more and more like Christ. And sometimes that means a cross. But he's pleading with us in prayer that our faith will continue. Because if our faith continues through that cross, there is a resurrection. And we will grow. And God will have an eternity to see the blessed results of that with us. And so Jesus ends this. Simon, Simon, all of us, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you that your faith will not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter turned back to him after a time of testing and failing. Perhaps this has been a season of testing for you, maybe of falling and failing. Perhaps now is the time that Christ is calling you back. And when he does, boy, with God, there's, there's always a completion of the circle, isn't there? There's always this inflow and this outflow. There's this receiving and then there's the giving. If I was Peter, I, I couldn't have helped but ask, Lord, how? How should I strengthen them? And then maybe it would dawn on me that Jesus at that same supper washed their feet and served them and then said, if I'm your master and I've done this for you, you ought to serve one another. And that same Jesus is the one that says, and I plead in prayer for you. So what should you do for one another? So when you have repented and turned to begin, strengthen your brothers. Pray for one another. James chapter 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, produces wonderful results. You know, God has given us a way to complete this circle with each other, to be the church that he calls us to be. And he says, pray for one another. Prayer is a powerful thing. I, just in the last couple of weeks, not only saw a lot of sifting, personally and in others, but I also saw the power of prayer. I saw a person who was broken over their marriage situation, but with a broken heart was asking God, pleading with God to make a change. And they did so in prayer. And I believe already they've said that they've begun to see a change because prayer is powerful. And others were praying with them. I saw somebody who outside this community is considering the mission field to another country. It's kind of a matter-of-fact kind of person. Doesn't always show a lot of emotion. But in that gathering, when somebody looked at them and said, what specifically can I pray for for you? They welled up and the tears began to flow. And something unlocked down deep in the heart that only prayer can do. That only that talking with God on a heart level can change in ways like nothing else can. I had somebody who was on the phone with me just recently and said, can I pray for you? And that was very meaningful to me. 
I've heard of a couple people who were at a restaurant and their server looked a little downcast and they asked if there was anything they could pray for. And they found out that six years prior, basically to that day, the woman's daughter had died and was her best friend. And so she broke down in tears and wept as they prayed for her. And something of, of pain was released. And hopefully the peace of God came in to that difficult sifting in a way that only prayer could release. Maybe there's somebody like this that you can pray for. Maybe there's somebody you know that you're thinking of right now that God's putting on your heart saying, plead with them in prayer. Maybe you need somebody to plead for you in prayer. Maybe there's somebody that's not even of this fold. Oh, wait a minute, I, I forget. Jesus tells us to pray for each other, but we don't have to worry about those people, right? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Wasn't he the same one that said, bless those that curse you and pray for them? Pray for those that persecute you, including even your enemies. And so maybe there's somebody laying on, being laid on your heart like that that you can pray for who desperately needs the hope of Jesus Christ in their life. I heard somebody say one time, we often pray, Lord, save the world, but have you prayed for your neighbor by name? Maybe there's a neighbor that's on your heart to pray for. I don't know. God knows. He calls us to this together. But whatever it is, whoever it is, will we take that action? Will we realize that God wants his house, his people to be known as a house of prayer? Jesus never promised us we wouldn't be sifted. He did promise he'd plead for us in prayer. And we can press into the strength of that. And then he asked us to pray for one another. And so in a moment like this, as we begin to turn our attention to just thinking about what God would have us pray for, perhaps you have the words. Perhaps you don't. You know, it doesn't really matter. All you really need is one word. Even one name. That's all that needs to come into your lips. And you can enter into prayer with your Heavenly Father. Perhaps God put somebody on your heart in this moment that you need to pray for. Seek them out. Offer that to them. Or maybe you need prayer. There, there'll be people up here afterwards that want to talk with God with you. Don't worry about the words. Just go up there with a broken heart. He'll take care of the rest. Or maybe you just want to sit there right now because you're so in awe of his presence that you can't find the words. It's okay. If you aren't called any of that right now, that's okay too. Just be conscious that people are going to be in here seeking that. So just give them space. Father, we want to be known as a house of prayer. That is what you called your church to be. Help us, Lord, to get past the form, the concern of anything like that. Help us to go down deep into the heart, Lord, with you, and with a broken heart. We'll begin with the name, Jesus, the name above every name. And we trust that you'll guide us from there. In your name, Lord. 
Amen.